Hello, and welcome to the On Time Autism Intervention Podcast, a podcast for parents of children three and younger, dedicated to providing accurate information about autism, autism intervention, and guidance for your new path. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Washington's On-Time Autism Intervention, or OTAI. We're a collaborative project led by the UW's Autism Center and Herring Center for Inclusive Education. Our work is supported by the Seattle Foundation and aims to increase equitable access to timely diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder and evidence-based intervention for young children and their families. We are so glad you're here. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the On Time Autism Intervention Podcast. Yay. Hi, Ashley. We have such a great interview lined up today. I cannot wait. Me too. Today, we are going to be talking about the parent experience of diagnosis and really diving into understanding parent readiness for getting a diagnosis. And we have a parent joining us, Louisa, and her son was diagnosed before he turned three. And she's going to talk to us about what that was like for her. It's going to be really good. Um, So to get us warmed up, why don't we reflect a little bit on what we talked about last time and, you know, a bit about our approach and recommendations around early identification. Yeah. So last time we talked with Emily, she is a birth to three special educator, and she really helped us understand the process of entry into birth to three services. But Jess, can you talk a little bit more about why we think it's important that all roads lead to birth to three as a first stop for families who are considering an autism diagnosis? Yeah, it's a good question, Ashley. And I think it's really important that families approach the diagnosis with support. Uh, whether it be family members, a therapy team, teachers, somebody who knows them and knows their child, who can really help them understand what the diagnosis means for their child. I always say that the diagnosis is just a moment in time. Um, It's really a gateway to accessing services and intervention and support and information. And it's better if it doesn't happen in a vacuum. And my experience through the On Time Project has really shown that the process of getting a diagnosis can really be better for a family, a family of a child under three, if they're feeling supported and ready and have someone to continue providing support in an ongoing way after these diagnostic visits are over. And my experience has been that the support from birth to three really always enhances the feeling of support for families. The idea that we encourage all families to start with birth to three has to do with that really being the first step for families in terms of their readiness for getting an autism diagnosis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear this from parents too. And I also think it's worth mentioning in this episode a little bit about why we're called the On Time Autism Intervention Project. And originally, this came from our belief that really young children can't and shouldn't have to wait for diagnosis or to wait for autism services until after they're diagnosed. Uh, But that really that a diagnosis and entry into services should be available as soon as those characteristics and signs of autism are present. And that this should be considered on time rather than early diagnosis or early intervention. But what we have also come to understand in our work with parents going through this process is that what's considered on time may really be different for each child or family. Yeah, 
Um, I think that when we talk to Louisa in a moment, we will again highlight some of the theoretical models that we've used, like something called the Prochaska model for change that have really helped to form our framework. Uh, and the idea is that, that parents come to a place of readiness for pursuing diagnosis at very different paces. Right, yeah. Well, I think we'll have a lot to hear from Louisa. So shall we dive into our conversation with her? Let's do it. I think it's time. It is time. Yay. Okay, Louisa, welcome. And thank you so much for talking with us today. Today, we've been talking a little bit about parent experiences around diagnosis and readiness for pursuing a diagnosis. So thank you so much for being here, Louisa. Thank you for having me. So our first question is just about who first mentioned or recommended that you seek out an autism evaluation for your child. So actually the first time that autism came to my mind, it was because I noticed that uh, my son wasn't pointing as much as other children his age. And I brought up this concern to his pediatrician and he told me that he had no autism related concerns. And so I remember at the time that he said, it's perhaps that you're a very intuitive mother and um, uh, you're not letting him kind of make the effort to communicate his needs before you fulfill them. So just work on that for a little while. And so, but I just, I just had a feeling that he needed more specialized support. So I decided to reach out to a local early intervention organization to get services to help him with communication skills and language skills. We speak four languages at home. So I thought maybe that was confusing him. Um, and th then it was the speech therapist that he worked with that was the second person to bring it up. Okay. And how did that conversation go? It was over several, it was not really one conversation. Like, like she brought it up several times in kind of like a uh, small ways that like little small comments and things like that so there wasn't a particular conversation but I do know that I I whenever she brought it up I felt actually pretty defensive um I think I was just really afraid that you know I I thought about it before when I talked to the pediatrician but I didn't really know much about autism then and so I just wanted things to be easy for my child and for us and so whenever she brought up those little pieces, it was really hard um, to receive. Mm -hmm. So Louisa, it sounds like it was the speech therapist who first said the word autism. Is that right? So actually it was kind of the internet because <laughs> when I was Googling uh, on my own, like, you know, my like stages and milestones and things. And so when I, I took a random like autism Thing online that like sent me like into fear body about it um so that was the first time that I thought about autism but then after talking to the early intervention organization and like having some services for him I kind of switched my ideas and thought no I don't think this is autism I think this has to do with the ways that we communicate at home all the languages that we speak and so I kind of went like no that that that's not what's happening um and so then when she brought it up again it was um yeah, it was kind of having to go back to that initial fear that I felt when I first Googled it. Mm -hmm. So you, it sounds like you kind of vacillated between wanting information, thinking there might be something going on and sort of not, not wanting to go there and just 
sort of waiting to see what was going to happen with early intervention? Yes, absolutely. I, I mean, I went back and forth all the way until the day that I, that we had the evaluation. It was back and forth the entire time. Mm-hmm. So, so kind of ambivalent, it sounds like a little like you wanted it, but a little like you were scared and not sure what this process was going to be. Yeah, I think I was like, it was, I was afraid to get to get the outcome, to hear the outcome. And so I wanted support for him. I noticed that he needed support with things. And so I wasn't afraid to ask for the support, but I didn't want to hear the specifics of the, like the, a label or a diagnostic, or that was harder for me to get my brain around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it seems like what you're describing is, is really, is, is something that lots of people go through when they're thinking about making a big change or making a big decision. And there's actually a whole body of literature about the stages of change, they're called. Um, and, and there's something called the pre-contemplation stage, which is where you're in a state of thinking about doing this thing, you know, you, you're thinking about exploring a diagnosis, but, but, but pretty, pretty ambivalent and pretty not not ready, um, can't really see that the outcome is going to help you. Um, and then there's contemplation, which is really kind of weighing the pros and cons, feeling like you really you want an answer um, and considering your options for getting the answer. And then there's a preparation stage, which is sort of lining up where you're going to get the diagnosis, who who's going to do it, um, who's going to come with you. So sort of preparing for that diagnosis. And then the action stage, which is like taking action and, uh, and actually making, making the leap to, to, to make the change or to, um, to take action and get the diagnosis. Um, do you identify with these stages? Can you think about yourself kind of going through those, those four stages I've described? Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, again, like when the speech therapist uh, brought it up, I felt super defensive, not ready to get an evaluation. Uh, mostly because I wasn't ready to deal with the possible diagnosis. And I actually had put my son on the waiting list um, for an evaluation months before. And when they reached out to me, I just never called back. Um, So then like um, I started grad school and in my practicum, I began working with autistic children. And that was the first time I truly understood. I remember that she would say, often this thing, like if you've met one individual with autism, you've met one individual with autism, but I didn't really, like that concept didn't really truly sink in until I started working in my practicum and I saw what she meant. And so that kind of started opening up my heart and my eyes a little bit. And then, you know, after talking with people uh, in the field and just letting time kind of sink in, um, I decided, okay, this is, this is a possibility. Like the, the value, what's the evaluation gonna, um, do, um, I, I realized it was going to do more good than not to have an evaluation. It would just finally answer that question in my mind. And so I finally reached out to the evaluation, to the, the, the place where I had him on the waiting list. And then from that point on, it just, they were so fast with the process of scheduling the appointment that I just really didn't have a lot of time to go back and forth anymore. And I just, I just kind of was time that took me through it until it was done. Wow. That sounds like a, a really individual and personal process and sort of something that you needed, that you needed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, what, is there anything 
that that you can think of now in retrospect that your providers could have done to be helpful, to be more supportive, to to yeah, anything that you can think of that's sort of advice to the to, to the providers. Yeah, so I think with initially with a pediatrician thinking when I first spoke with them about my concerns, um, I think that like taking seriously what I said um, would have been really helpful because we would have been able to access early services um, so much, um, like a lot sooner and they are so much easier to like support is so much easier to access um, at that time. It seems like now my, my child's over three and so things are very different. Um, and I think with the speech therapist, because unfortunately after she brought it up, um, I just was never able to connect with her and feel safe with her again. And um, I think that like thinking about it in retrospect, I think it's that it was, there was no time for me to digest what she was saying and she was just saying it often. And so I think just um, allowing kind of the, the news to kind of sink in the thoughts, the, the, the input that, that she was bringing, if I was allowed to kind of just let it sink in a little bit more, maybe I would have reached out for support earlier. I think that I shut down when I started hearing it so much. Interesting. So it sounds like she was pretty direct and maybe for you being that direct was a little bit off-putting. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm wondering, this is really helpful to just kind of hear because from the provider perspective, we don't always get to know what the impact is for families um, about the things we say. Was there anything that really you felt went well that you'd want to highlight, you know, someone helping you kind of maybe somebody really being super helpful or um, taking extra time? Yeah, it was actually once I got to the actual evaluation, um, the process of hearing the diagnosis was much better than and easier than I had expected. I already knew that we would get a positive, like I, I already knew that they were going to tell us that he um, was on the spectrum based on how the evaluation had gone. Um, but the way that she talked to me through that process was actually kind of one of those first few times that I felt like things are gonna be okay. Um, she, for one, she was consistently checking in with me, making sure that I agree with her observations of my child. And I never really felt like she was describing him or his behaviors in ways that aren't truly him. Um, but she was also the first person to talk to me about neurodiversity. And uh, she reminded me that our family already, you know, consisted of seven, so many different lived experiences, like racially and culturally and so on. And so neurodiversity was really just one more of those di di differences that um, because of our lived experiences and the things that we were familiar with, our capacity for understanding how other people would experience their life was so much more nuance. And so when she said that, I felt like although our society makes it difficult for people who do not fit a standard that the systems were created for, our experiences were in some way kind of our, our family's superpower. <laughs> we could understand like things better and hopefully because of that, we would have a better impact on people that we would encounter throughout our lives. Oh, I love wow. that. 
That's super inspiring. I feel like our listeners are going to be really inspired by that. As I hear you saying, you went from a place of being really fearful, you know, about what this was mean to, to really um, kind of just a place of acceptance and um, yeah, and empowerment. So that's, that's really, that's cool. Thank you so much. Do you kind of knowing that our listeners are maybe coming to this episode in any number of those stages that we talked about, what advice would you give to parents who are just starting down this road or just starting to consider going down this road? Yeah, that that's a hard question because I think that not, nothing that I actually like, nothing that I would say would actually make the process easier. Um, I think that going back to that pediatrician, I would first say, just trust your instincts. You're the one that knows your child the best. And if you feel like you do need support and you're being told in different ways, even if they're very friendly, kind ways that you are overreacting, then get a second opinion because sitting with that question of, am I overreacting or am I noticing something that my child needs is heavy. And so there's so much guilt that already comes with parenting. It's, it's, so it's so easier to feel guilty for both overreacting or not doing enough. So trust your instincts and get second opinions if you feel like you're not being heard. And I would also say that not being ready and feeling frustrated with the process um, and people keep, that keep bringing it up is natural. And so just be gentle with yourself. We just, in reality, we just want things to be easy for our children and for them to not have to face the world with labels that can bring challenges to them. And so allow yourself to be frustrated that people might keep bringing it up and allow yourself to get there. Um, and parents, you know, they, they want the best for their children. So know that if your family needs support in a specific way, you will get there. And you might not get there on the provider's ideal timeline, but you will get there in your family's timeline. And that, um, in my opinion, is what matters most because we are not shutting down as, par as parents. Um, our children are looking at us for cues on how to feel safe or how safe different circumstances are. And so when we feel more confident throughout the process, so do our children. Wow, thank you. I think um, I, I, I love the idea of, of instilling in other parents that you as parents are experts in your, in your children. Like I think Ashley and I often get looked at like, oh, well, you know this and you know that. You, you have your PhDs, you guys are experts. Well, no, we're experts on a lot of things, but we are not experts on your, your child. Um, and so I, I hope people take away from this the fact that um, they should really you know, parents should trust, trust their instincts and um, have the confidence that you sound like you have to, to, um, to follow those instincts. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much, Louisa. This has been just really wonderful to hear about your experiences. And I think that it's really going to resonate with other parents. Is there anything else that we didn't ask you that you, you know, want to make sure that you share with us? Um, I mean, I guess it's not necessarily a question, but just thinking of parents um, that as you're going in this process, I guess one thing that I wish I would have had at the time uh, was more relationship with parents who were already raising uh, autistic children 
um, so that I wasn't as afraid of what it would mean. Like um, nothing changed about my child before or after the diagnosis. And so um, I guess just it's always so good for, for us humans to surround ourselves with people who are different, including, you know, different brains. And so um, I think that that would have been a really helpful reminder back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is great. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you, you know, Louisa, I'd love to hear about something special that your child does that brings you and your child joy, something he loves that you love watching him love. Um, well, I'll tell you ex- an experience we had today, actually, because he's been in my mind quite a bit. Um, uh, he loves fans. That's one of the things that he loves. Um, and he's so interested in like the mechanics of them and he's trying to figure out how they spin and all of that. And it got warm today. So we pulled out an oscillating fan and, um, he just, the way that he looks at things and observes the world just, uh, brings so much joy to our family. He looked at it for a few seconds and then turned to us and said, Hey, the fan only says no. And then he turned around back to the fan and says, can you say yes? <laughs> um, <laughs> so there is a lot of these and it just makes us laugh all the time. He is just such a, such a smart kid and just so um, creative in the way that he looks at the world. <laughs> I love that. I love that. that too. I will never look at a fan and not think of that. How come, how come he's shaking his head? No. And not nodding. Yes. <laughs> it's an invention. Maybe he'll invent a nodding. Yes. fan. There's actually a comedian that had a joke around that. And I thought it was so funny. And like, how do you quote this comedian that you don't even know exists? <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, All right. Thank you, Louisa. Yeah. Thank you both for having me. Yes. Wow, that was so great to hear from Louisa. I really, really appreciate her taking the time to to share her experiences. Yes. Yeah, she is phenomenal. And I had a great time listening to her. It's kind of interesting, but both of our I mean, two of our um, you know, speakers now, our guests have been both parents and um professionals. Yeah. Uh, and have had different different kind of experiences too yeah yeah I don't think that that was intentional when we Mm -hmm. when we um thought of them but um I wonder I hope for our listeners that that is helpful to hear from that perspective but also you know for people to know that that you know that 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 they're not necessarily completely representative uh, Mm -hmm. of every parent of a child with autism yeah well we'll just have to keep talking to more of them (laughs) yeah yeah there are a lot of them and a lot of really um, neat people that have helpful um, cool things to say so we are out of time uh, yes but we've had a good time <laughs> we did have a good time and we I know people think we're super dorky for staying time all the time but because we're, we're on time we have to emphasize time so we also um, have to end on time yes okay see you next time all right see you next time
This podcast represents the opinions of Drs. Ashley Penny and Jessica Greenson and our guests on the show. The content here should not be taken as clinical or medical advice and is for information purposes only. Because each child is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional with any specific questions. Views and opinions expressed on the podcast are our own. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we're sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast, and in no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. Thank you.